Good morning from WKYT News. I'm Bill Bryant and we welcome you to Kentucky Newsmakers. In a few minutes we'll be talking to Lexington Mayor Linda Gordon about the city's response to the COVID-19 pandemic along with her efforts to ease racial tensions in the city. But first Lieutenant Governor Jacqueline Coleman has had a very busy first eight months in office. She has been working as part of a team to manage the pandemic and ensure that children are educated. Prior to her election as Lieutenant Governor with Governor Andy Bashir. She was a teacher and assistant principal. Of course, she's also a new mother, and uh, we want to welcome her now. Lieutenant Governor, thank you so much for speaking with us today. Well, thank you, Bill, for having me. I appreciate it. When you ran for Lieutenant Governor and then agreed to head up the Education and Workforce Development Cabinet, did you ever imagine that your first few months in office would be anything like what we've all experienced? Not even close. Uh, you know, we, we focus on, uh, in this administration, education, healthcare, good paying jobs. And so we're, we continue to work on those issues, but from a much different angle than we had hoped to, for sure. Governor Bashir recently made the recommendation to push back the start of in-person classes to the end of September. Um, how did the administration arrive at the decision to make that recommendation? Well, you know, the governor has done an excellent job of leading Kentucky, and we've been one of the leaders in this nation in terms of our response uh, to the COVID-19 pandemic. And the reason for that is simply because the governor has leaned on the medical community, the medical experts, the data, and any guidance that's coming out of uh, the medical experts at the White House as well. And so that has shaped every decision that has been made coming out of this administration, regardless of whether uh, it may or may not be popular, it, uh, you know, it may or may not be well received. Uh, the governor truly believes that he has to make the right decision, putting health and safety first. We know that this pandemic has has done a number on our society. It is certainly not convenient uh, and has created lots of barriers in our personal and professional lives. Uh, so we have to continue to put the health and safety of our students, the teachers in the classroom, the staff that work in the school buildings and all of the families that all of those people go to home to every day at the forefront as we continue to make these decisions. So is it troubling to you and, and to the governor that uh, some public and private schools are ignoring the advice and are moving ahead with uh, in-person classes uh, in some cases this month? Well, you know, it, the governor made a recommendation and uh, that recommendation was based on, again, the medical professionals, the medical community, and guidance that's coming out of the federal government uh, that we've made every decision based on. Uh, so I know that there are some schools that have chosen to go against that recommendation, and that certainly is their choice, but there are going to be uh, consequences and ramifications for either side of this argument, whether schools stay out until out of person and still, until um, the end of September, or whether schools decide to go back now. You know, we have we have always said that our, our schools have the best laid plans. If you asked me if I believe if our schools can implement, create and implement strong plans that keep our kids safe, I would tell you absolutely, without question. The, the concern right now is where we are in the spike. You know, just yesterday, the governor announced the highest single day count of uh, positive tests and another seven deaths out there. Uh, that's seven families that are struggling now because of this. Uh, and so this is not something that should be taken lightly. 
And you know, uh, and again, you have that experience of uh, being a school person, a teacher, and an administrator. But parents, are, you know, are, have to be really torn out there right now, just hoping that they make the right decisions given the uh, options that they have. What do you think is the biggest challenge to making sure that children do get a quality education through this pandemic? Uh, you know, and 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 continue their educations as best as possible. You know, this is not an ideal situation. For anyone to say uh, that they believe that, that virtual instruction is better than in-person, I would wholeheartedly disagree with that. You know, nothing can replace the relationships that are built between teachers and their students in the classroom, and that's what we want to get back to as soon as possible. Uh, and so it will be a struggle. Uh, we know that. Uh, and that's why we've got to come together as a community uh, and create a sense of community among our families. Uh, you know, there are lots of folks out there who are uh, working to change schedules if possible as, as uh, for in their workplace to be able to help their students. Uh, there are some families who have agreed to socially distance and test and wear masks and may have um, a couple of their kids come together uh, and work in what they're calling now pandemic pods. Uh, and as long as those social distance uh, guidelines are followed, I, I think that's a safe thing to do. Uh, we're currently working with the Department of Education on how schools can bring in small numbers of students uh, and, and keep the distance and wear the masks and support students in person at a much, much smaller rate um, between now and September 28th. And so we're continuing to try to be as flexible as we can and provide every option that we can for our families, again, with with health and safety being first mm -hmm. and foremost. Lieutenant Governor Coleman, have you been surprised uh, when there has been the pushback and even the legal challenges, uh, some of which are pending, uh, when it uh, comes to masks, uh, the, the shutdowns earlier this year? Uh, that was the strategy that, uh, that Governor Bashir chose to employ. And, uh, you know, some have called him a dictator. Uh, he has been uh, criticized roundly by many uh, who say that he has used uh, authority uh, too strongly stringently. Uh, what, what do you, how do you respond to that? You know, Governor Bashir was elected at this time in this moment for a reason. And while this is a very, very heavy burden to bear, uh, I will tell you that I believe that he was, he was made for this moment. And every decision that he has made has been, again, based on data from the medical field and experts. And uh, he continues to make every decision based on the health and safety of Kentuckians. And so uh, if some folks step up and challenge that, you know, I, I would not want to be on that side of the argument. You know, if, if I have to pick a team uh, and play for it, it's certainly going to be the team uh, that is making sure that every decision that's made is not political. Uh, it's not for attention. It is to keep people safe. Is that sometimes part of the discussion, though, that we know this is going to cause uh, a certain amount of uh, pushback and therefore we have to consider this uh, uh, maybe in a different light? You know, it, that's interesting. We do try to consider every angle and even unintended consequences that, that may occur based on decisions. And so it's really important uh, when, when um, so much is at stake that all of these different perspectives are at the table and advising uh, how to move forward. And that's exactly what we committed at, to do as an administration. And that's what we've done through this pandemic. You know, just in my role alone, I'm Lieutenant Governor, I'm Secretary of Education, I'm a mom, I'm a teacher, I'm married to a teacher, uh, and we're both coaches, right? So 
that in itself covers, you know, a a litany of perspectives uh, that we have to be able to evaluate and think about as we move forward. And so to say that, that, um, you know, potential pushback or a differing of opinion uh, plays a role in this decision making, I would say it's certainly considered and we have to think about these different decisions from different angles. But at the end of the day, uh, push, you know, Popular decision making and public pushback cannot be the reason uh, that we make a decision that that could affect people's lives. And you would say everybody's unanimous on that. I mean, within the administration, that that's the yes. tone the governor has said, and you agree with that. I, I 100% agree. And you know, both of us have kids in school. Both of us want our kids back in school. Uh, there, there's no question about that. And we had to make a decision that runs counter to what our wants are because we know the needs of our communities has to take precedent. Unemployment uh, has been crushing uh, throughout the country and certainly here in the Commonwealth. You know, we get reports of more businesses on the brink as well and uh, certainly restaurants uh, hanging on uh, or in many cases closing. Can Kentucky continue to keep up with these jobless claims that are, are coming in and its other obligations if there is no more help from Washington? You know, that that is one of the things that the governor and I have both um, stated every chance we every chance we have is that we have to have more support from the federal federal government for our our state and local governments. Uh, You know, without it, I I don't know um, what the ramifications of that will be long term. What I can tell you is with it, our state has been able to maintain uh, what would be what we might consider normalcy at this point and continue on um, in, in all of the sectors that we used to judge how you know well our economy is doing. And so what I would say is previous support has helped uh, without additional support specifically again for state and local governments. And I say that because I know that a large portion of the state budget uh, is allocated to education. And so we have to be able to have that support for our local school systems as well. Uh, without that, we, we are going to be in a much, much tougher position than we would be otherwise. So you continue basically about a lobbying effort uh, with Washington uh, to communicate that message? We do, we do. And I know, I know Governor Bashir has had several conversations. I have reached out to our federal delegation on this matter. I've actually reached out to every state's top education official and ask them to join me in requesting uh, this additional funding for state and local budgets and for public education from the federal secretary of education as well. We mentioned uh, the uh, the realm of challenges uh, from uh, you know because all of us have different uh, roles uh, certainly in the world and as you've mentioned uh, being a, uh, a new mother has, uh, has uh, had its uh, challenges uh, along the way with all of this uh, but uh, uh, at the same time as uh, uh, as you look at moving forward you have kids who have missed out on their graduations. They're now worried about what's going to happen uh, as their new school year is beginning, be it in the uh, you know, secondary or uh, post-secondary school and college and so forth. What would you say in this moment uh, to people uh, as they uh, try to gather strength to, to get through this and, and, uh, and hope that we come out better on the other side? You know, I think about those kids and the circumstances that they, they are in and the sacrifices that we're asking them to make every day. Uh, and part of that reason is because I have those kids in my household. Um, Emma is has just graduated from college. She has a chance to play professional basketball overseas in Europe. And her position on that team hinges on our response to the coronavirus. 
uh, Will just graduated high school. He did not get a, a regular graduation like he like he normally would have. He is attending Asbury University and playing basketball in the fall. Uh, we, we can imagine that his moving in experience, his first days of college, maybe even his freshman college basketball year is not going to be normal. Nate is a senior in high school this year. Uh, he plays for my husband, who's a basketball coach. And so what his beginning, yeah. what the beginning of his senior year in high school looks like, what his basketball season might look like, uh, it is still up yeah. in the air. So and then have I have a, a, a six-month-old at home <laughs> right. uh, that we all have to watch out for. And so to say, to say that I feel the anxiety out there that families are feeling is real. And I yeah. feel it from every perspective. And I carry that with me with every um, piece of advice I offer the governor as we work through these challenges. Lieutenant Governor Jacqueline Coleman, thank you so much. We appreciate you being with us. Stay with us now. We'll be back with Lexington Mayor Linda Garten on Kentucky Newsmakers. Welcome back to Kentucky Newsmakers. 2020 has been a challenging year for local leaders, including Lexington Mayor Linda Gorton. The career registered nurse has been leading the city as it navigates this pandemic, and she is pushing the community to face up to tough social issues as well, including systemic racism. All of this as economic activity is down and revenue for the city has been dropping. Mayor Gorton is joining us in this tough moment in history on Kentucky Newsmakers. Mayor, thank you very much uh, for speaking with us. Good morning, Bill. Thank you. you know, this has been a very challenging time for all of us in so many ways. Uh, what has been the biggest challenge for you in leading the city uh, in this historic time? Well, you are absolutely right. Uh, I could never have imagined when I ran for mayor what I was getting into. And, um, you know, we uh, the interesting thing is the budget has been one of the greatest challenge because of the revenue uh, fluctuations. And we started and made our budget before the pandemic hit here. And then we had about a month to readjust when we were in the pandemic. And of course, a pandemic alone is a big enough challenge. Um, understanding how to keep people safe and how to keep the virus from spreading. And of course, then we had the public safety police incidents around the country, which threw us into some racial unrest. I mean, we've had three big, gigantic challenges. Um, and uh, most mayors only get maybe one, right? <laughs> But um, we are just moving through it a day at a time. I have a fantastic team of people who help make these decisions on a daily basis. And I think that's been one thing that's helped us tremendously. The teamwork has made a difference. Well, you worked as a team as a registered nurse uh, yes. uh, all of your life as well. Uh, has that uh, played into your ability to respond to this? It absolutely has. I spent a fair amount of time working in intensive care. And when you're an intensive care nurse, you are with the sickest, most critical patients. And, you know, there are things happening every minute in intensive care. And so you have to make split second decisions. And this has been not much different, you know, yeah. um, it's just city decisions um, and it but it does affect people 
and so one of our one of our um, kind of our steady as she goes messages is that we have to keep basic services operating for our people garbage pickup recycling you know streets the very basic services and keep government moving s smoothly and that's what people expect even in a pandemic right and yet so, mayor businesses uh, have been hit uh, so hard uh, payrolls mm -hmm. are uh, radically scaled back for now uh, you've indicated that it is affecting uh, the local economy and the in the receipts to uh, uh, to city government how tough is it it's it is very tough as, as some of our folks will remember back uh, at the time I gave my budget address at the end of April we were expecting a 40 million dollar hole in our budget between fiscal year 20 and fiscal year 21 and so that was what we were dealing with and this this economic situation has been very difficult and very sad in a lot of ways to see some of our wonderful businesses have to go under. And so we have worked really hard, city government has, to help support small business. And uh, thank goodness there was some stimulus money, the, the payroll protection money for businesses. And um, it's been extremely tough. And our, our restaurants in particular have really been creative in figuring out how they could use more outdoor seating and the, and then the city worked with the restaurants to allow them to use sidewalks mm -hmm. parking lots patios that sort of thing you, it's you, taken creative thinking yeah you also have uh, established a household assistance fund uh, to uh, to help folks right yes so you will know that we are our city is eligible to receive $25 million in what they call the, um, the uh, coronavirus, uh, it's the, corona, the CARES Act money for coronavirus, and we get reimbursed for up to $25 million worth of uh, expenses. And we so far have qualified for 9.3 million in funding and so I have proposed to the council uh, among other things a household assistance fund what that would do is help with people's individual rent their utilities food distribution those basic needs that people have because I think it's very important to put a high priority on community assistance during the pandemic so that is, uh, you know, that's why I proposed that, and the council approved 1.9 million of the 3 million that I proposed for household assistance. Mayor, uh, you know, uh, last week the number of COVID cases uh, in Lexington eclipsed 4,000. Uh, what needs to be done to keep it under better control? Testing is a word that uh, we continue to hear. Do you think that uh, the local government has responded as best it can uh, with, uh, with testing, and even though it takes a while to get the results? We have been very nimble with testing and my chief of staff in particular has worked very closely with Dr. Craig Humbaugh at the Fayette County Health Department because we knew that testing was important 
to locate where the virus is. So we we have the mayor's mobile neighborhood testing up and running. You know, we started in Cardinal Valley and moved to Shiloh Baptist Church. We were determined to get into the neighborhoods where the minority populations were having a disproportionately high number of cases, positive cases. Mm -hmm. And uh, unfortunately, we have had our 49th death. Right. And I, I can't say enough this. We right. have to mask because if you've seen the scientific videos taken in some of the labs where they have people put on their mask and cough and they cough into a petri dish and almost nothing grows and then you have they have them take their mask off and cough into the petri dish and it's full of yeah. things growing i mean the evidence is there that masks do protect other people from whatever you cough or sneeze yeah. or talk out. <laughs> I mean, it's it's just a no-brainer yeah. for me. Mayor, after a, a time of demonstrations and a call for police reforms, as you've referenced, you formed a commission to look at racial justice issues. Uh, what are you seeing from those meetings? I know the, the final reports will be uh, coming later. Uh, I know that uh, body cameras uh, is something that uh, has been a, a priority for uh, your administration now. Yes, so I appointed my Commission for Racial Justice and Equality um, in, I think that was in June, <laughs> and um, I have two fantastic co-chairs, Dr. Gerald Smith, a UK professor, historian, and a pastor of Pilgrim Baptist Church, and then Ms. Rosalind Aikens, who is an educator, she's a community activist, they are the co-chairs and there are five subcommittees. We have the uh, health disparities, law enforcement, justice and accountability, um, housing and gentrification, racial equity, education and ec economic opportunity. Uh, this is the moment when our community can make positive change in terms of racial equality. And I have said many times, and the reason I appointed the commission is, it is now. This is our moment to make change, real meaningful change. Um, and so they are working really hard. They've had three public town halls on Zoom and gotten lots of input from the community. Every subcommittee works and has meetings. It's all on our website to see for citizens to go in and watch the meetings. And I'm very optimistic and hopeful yeah. that we can make meaningful change. They will report toward the end of September right, back so to me. Ongoing dialogue there. A yes. uh, few seconds left. Lisa higgins Hoard is a new uh, member of the council. You made that appointment this week and uh, uh, she's attending her uh, first council meeting. Yes, so uh, Lisa higgins Hoard is Assistant Vice President for Community Engagement at the University of Kentucky. She has broad experience. She has worked with budgeting, 
with planning large projects, executing large projects. She's in the community, working on community issues for UK. She is absolutely qualified and has a ton of experience that she will bring to the council for this next four months. Right. And so I'm thrilled to have her. Mayor Linda Gordon, thank you so much uh, for being with us. We appreciate it very thank much. Thank you for having Keeping me. us up to date. All right. We will be back on WKYT's Kentucky Newsmakers. Welcome back to Kentucky Newsmakers. We know all the main players fighting for the White House, and now the question is, how will America vote for them? Millions of people are expected to vote by mail, but the Trump campaign and GOP are doing their best to try to curb that. Our chief national political analyst, Greta Van Susteren, has the latest. Hello, I'm Greta Van Susteren, and here is your full court fast break. The election is just around the corner, less than 85 days away, and there's a big fight brewing over voting. Not just who to vote for, but how to register your choice, the process. I know you're not surprised. We had the same fight years ago and four years before that. It seems our leaders, despite their obligations to us and to our democracy, just can't figure out how to make voting efficient and fair. One vote, one person, and counted fairly and in a timely fashion, not weeks later. This is frustrating and disappointing. The issue really sparking partisan debate right now are mail-in ballots. I went to both parties to hear their sides of the argument. First up, White House Chief of Staff Mark Meadows. He supports no excuse absentee voting, but says universal vote by mail could lead to fraud. If you're just mailing ballots to everybody uh, and every, every registered voter uh, at any given time, every voter roll, I would say every voter roll is inaccurate because people move so quickly and you're putting out all these ballots, millions of ballots that potentially are going to households where people have moved on. Virginia Senator Tim Kaine, the 2016 Democratic nominee for vice president, insists vote by mail works. He says Republicans use fraud claims without evidence because their party does better when voter turnout is low. There are some who want to disenfranchise people and not let them exercise the franchise. Sadly, these days, that's Republicans, even though in the history, Republicans have been a good Voting Rights Act party. But they about the time that they started to not sign on to fixing the Voting Rights Act and to enact voter disenfranchisement measures, uh, the, the Republicans really abandoned the, the Lincoln-era commitment to voting rights expansion. Want more Full Court Press? Tune in Sundays. We bring politics home, covering the national stories that impact you. And you can catch Full Court Press with Greta Van Susteren this morning at 11.30 on WKYT. That is Kentucky Newsmakers. Thank you so much for joining us. I'll see you bright and early this week on WKYT this morning. Make it a good week ahead.